That's a lot of kids, and now it's working. I'm going to hurry up and preach this <laughs> before it stops working. Is Paul up there? Is he not? Okay. Is it still recording even if it goes off? Okay, that's what I need to know. Otherwise, I'll get rid of it. Good morning. Take your Bible and make your way to this second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Corinthians number 2. And then we're going to find your way to chapter 8. Um, this is kind of the end of this series, although I'm going to extend it, not the series itself, but this last topic. Um, on, on God's unlimited grace and glory. How many of you are glad that God's grace is unlimited? Right? <laughs> Aren't you glad there's no limits to that grace? And there's no limits to, to his glory either. And they're both connected. But uh, we talked about the gospel opening. And then we talked last week about giftedness. And a couple of you contacted me and I got you hooked up with uh, our gifts assessment. If you have not heard that sermon, Sunday evening, there seemed to be more people coming to their restaurant to get food. And so perceiving an increase in customers, they decided to put on more staff on Sunday afternoons into the evenings. And as a result, they make twice as much as the other fast food chains. Um, and, and they did that based on their perception that there were more people coming. We're going to have more people working so that we can meet that need. They have a good experience. And then they'll do what? They'll come back. But you know, there's one more restaurant chain that doesn't work on perception. They work on perspective. And you know them as Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A, because of their pers perception, or excuse me, perspective, the way, at the vantage point from which they view their business and life, they determine that they will close their doors on Sunday. Do you think Chick-fil-A could make some money if they open their doors on Sunday? Yes. Sure they could. But they purposely close their doors, and you'll see it in their, in their stores, in their restaurants. They say the reason that they do it, they're very upfront about it, is so that the people that work for them at least have the opportunity to go and worship God on Sunday. That's the whole reason they do it. And that is a proper perspective. And by the way, their numbers are 8 million. See, because they're operating not out of perception, what they can see, but they're operating out of perspective, what they believe. Does that make sense this morning? And when it comes to this thing of New Testament or kingdom generosity, if you operate out of your perception, what you can see, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. But people, believers, who operate out of perspective, a kingdom and an eternal perspective, they get it and they give and they're generous. And you need to understand, like in a couple of weeks, I'm really, or three weeks, I guess it is, I'm, I'm so excited to have uh, really one of our favorite ministries are going are gonna to be with us, and that's Caring Solutions, our Crisis Pregnancy Center. And uh, we, we just love that ministry, and I'm, I'm so excited to have them here. But I'm going to tell you something, we, and we support them pretty heavily. 
And we could not if it weren't for the fact that some of you give generously. It's, it's, gener it's the generous giving of God's people that allows us to do that. Um, when I say that word generosity, let me put it this way. I want you to think in your mind of, a, of a per someone that you know and, and you think of them as a generous person. Do you have someone that immediately comes to your mind when you think of generosity? Do you? I do. Um, matter of fact, I don't know. I grew up in a home, and my parents, very out front, let us know that, that we practice as a family. We didn't think, we just thought it was normal. We just practiced tithing. Um, and from the time I was little, there was one time for a brief time, um, my dad gave us an allowance. And the only reason he did that was so that we, he could teach us to tithe. And I guess once he figured we got it, he quit giving us allowance. Um, I, I practiced allowance in my house, all of my children. Right, Ellie? Yeah, yes, I did. I allow you to stay in my house. And that's your allowance. And as a result, <laughs> you're going to give back by doing your jobs. Um, that's my version of allowance. But dad actually, dad and mom actually got together and gave us an allowance. And they gave it to us in change form so that we could tithe off of that. That makes sense? Why? They had a, an eternal kingdom perspective that they operated from. Have you ever been convicted about generosity? I thought I was okay in that area. I mean, I, I absolutely tithe. 10% of what I make, I, I sow right back into the kingdom through my local church, which is this one. So I, I thought I was doing okay. And then I went on vacation this summer. And I went to your brother's house. My cousin Joe, Angie's oldest brother. And I don't know what the deal is. Now, now, now Joe doesn't have everything down, Pat, does he? But I will tell you something. And, and all of you kids, and you got it from your parents. Your mom and dad are generous people. Your father was generous with his time. He worked his tail off when we were kids. But he was our little league coach. And I mean faithful to take us. into. He did stuff with us all the time. Faithful, faithful. So we're on vacation. And, and we were stayed pretty close to where my cousin Joe lived. And he, he reached out to me and said, hey, any chance you could come over? Uh, I'd like to have you over just to see you. I said, sure. I said, I said, now it's my wife and daughter's birthday. I said, so we might, you know, we just need to make it a little bit later. We're doing some celebrating. He goes, we'll just do it here at the house. He went out and bought birthday presents. And I mean, not at the five and dime either. Gave my wife a, a really generous gift card. Brought her flowers, which kind of, I don't know, I'm not sure how I felt about that. <laughs> My cousin gave my wife flowers, but anyway, there it was. <laughs> and and then uh, um, and then we, he said, "We're well, order out pizza." So I went with him to pick up the pizza because I wanted to at least pay for part of it. He would not allow us to do that. And pizza in Connecticut's expensive. It was just under a hundred dollars for for dinner that night. He would not allow me to give him any money. Then while we were at his house. Uh, where we were staying, and I don't know what the deal is in this particular place. My brother has a place on a lake. And um, years ago when we were there and Sam was a little kid, he had a severe asthma attack in there. He got it again. It's something about where, where that is located. I don't know. So Sam's having a hard time breathing. And Joe says, do you have an inhaler? And he said, no. He said, I got, an extra, I got one. He didn't have an extra one. He had one. And he has the same problems. And he insisted that Sam take that inhaler with him, even though that was the last one that he had. And I walked away from that, and although I very much enjoyed the evening, I came up.
verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So let me give you a little context of what's going on here. There has been a famine in, in Jerusalem and in that area. And literally, Christians were starving. Um, it was an agricultural society with a famine. That means not only is there no money, there's no food. Because there's no food, there's no money. So there's nothing to, with which to buy food, even if there was food. You, you get the idea? And, and, and also, because they were Christians, they were, they were um, um, even more specifically the target of persecution. So now they're starving, and where there is help, it is purposely withheld from what they call then the followers of the way, of the, of the New Testament church people. So they're, they're literally starving to death. And so the apostles get together and say, hey, those that aren't in Jerusalem, we're going to take up an offering. Even if we do that today, no, we call it a love offering. You all did that for us uh, so graciously. Uh, when our house burned a little over a month ago, um, People just started out of the depths of their heart to, to give us money to prepare for the rebuilding and the immediate replacement of things that were absolutely necessary. We do it, and that's what was going on. So they're in Macedonia, and, and, and life in Macedonia is not easy. I mean, and, and he said they had deep poverty, but they had an abundance of joy. And then they did something with that. It abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were liberal in their giving, even though they had so very little to give. Verse number three, he says, because I bear witness that according to their ability, and then he says this, this is interesting. He says, yes, and beyond their ability, 
They were freely willing. These people, I'll put it this way, these people were fired up about being a part of this offering. Even though their own, their own lives, they, they needed an offering to get by. And instead, instead of that, they said, nope, we're going to give. And, and Paul says, look, I, I, he said, not only did they give in their ability, they gave beyond their ability. Now i got a question for you. Is that poetic speech? And if not, what, what in the world does it mean to give beyond your ability? What does that mean? Well, if we give what we're able, it's kind of what Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said, it's what we can spare. I'm able to give this much. To give beyond your ability means you need to tap into the ability of somebody else. Now, were they taking their neighbor's things? No. They were tapping into the ability of God. And I see that in verse number 5. He says, the first thing they did is they gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. They tapped into an ability beyond themselves in this giving, in this, in this incredible giving. John Wesley put it this way. He said, when a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now, if that man, when he gets all he can, saves all he can does not give all he can. Listen to what he says. I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. Do you hear that? He said when God prospers a person and he saves it all and doesn't give all that he can, he said there's more hope for Judas Iscariot being a member of the, a citizen of the kingdom than for that man. What is he saying? Wesley had it right. What Wesley was saying is that Followers, true followers of Jesus Christ are marked by kingdom generosity. I mean, that's just, that's just what they do. It's who they are. We're givers by nature. Um, John 3.16, where do we get our giving from? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Who did he give? His only begotten son. It's been said that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Right? You can give without loving. I was in Kroger the other day. This happened to you? You're checking out. Would you like to donate a dollar to whatever the charity of the month is? Right? Now, you, you, you do that. It doesn't mean you love what that charity or you even know or love those people. It's just... You just do it. But, but the language of love is giving. And these people had it. L look, at, look at what he says in verse 4. He said, let me, let me tell you what they did. He said they were literally begging us with much urgency that we would receive this gift. So, so let, me, let me just unpack this for you for a second. Here, here's what was happening. The apostles are there. They told them about what was going on. And they brought... They started to bring their gifts. And, and again, these gifts were beyond their ability. These people themselves needed an offering. And they're bringing an exorbitant financial gift to lay at the apostles' feet. And here's what I think is happening here. I think the apostles are getting together and they're saying, these people cannot afford to do this. And, 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 and I think the apostles are starting to refuse the gift. And what are they doing? What are the Macedonians doing? They're begging them with great passion to allow them to be a part of this offering to relieve the suffering of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. I mean, that's what it says. He said, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship. They wanted to be a part of serving the saints. Please don't, don't cut us out of this. I know it looks like this is too much, but it's not. How do I know it's not too much? Look at verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the what? Will of God. It was God's will that these people dig deep and give beyond their own ability. And, they did, and the apostles felt a little weird about it because knowing how, how destitute these folks were. But it was God's will. They gave themselves to the Lord first and then to the apostles. 
by God's will. So Paul's using them as an example of, of generous kingdom giving and what, what it should look like. Augustine said this, God, always, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. you ponder that for a minute God's always wanting to give good things to us but so often our hands are too full to receive them you see because a lot of what God gives us is not intended for us yes it's not intended for us God gives it to us that we may use it and invest it and give it away what happens when you keep something that's not intended for you Yeah, there, there's no more room to give more. You know, someone once said we give to get in order to give again. And it's a lifestyle of generosity. And I just wonder, are our hands so full? These people, they, their hands were empty. And as a result, God was filling it so he could show himself faithful. Verse 6. He says, so, we use this great example of these people. He says, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Now, there's a lot in there. So Titus is the local pastor over the church at Corinth right now. And he says, so, you know, Titus knows about this. And we told him, we said, now, Titus, here's your job. Now, look at the, look at the language. The language is very telling here. Look at, look at the language that is used in verse 6. That as he had begun, so was, was, was uh, kingdom giving something that was taught in the early church? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Titus is teaching it at Corinth. He said, as he had begun, uh, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So Titus had started teaching, but the completion of that teaching was based on something. It wasn't the finishing of a sermon series that Paul was looking for. What Paul was looking for is that these Corinthians embraced, notice what he calls it here, this grace in you. What is grace? Remember we talked about this last week. Another word for grace, it was the same word used in the common language of that day. You would use these words interchangeably. It would either mean grace or it would mean gift. It was the same thing. So this grace, and what it means is an ability, something given to you outside of yourself for another purpose outside of yourself. So it's a gift. Listen, giving is a gift. Kingdom generosity is a gift. You don't have to give. You get to give. And if you have the mentality that you have to give, you are not understanding kingdom generosity. You, you very well may not even be understanding the gospel itself. You don't have to give. You get to give. And I'm going to unpack more of this in a few weeks to come. We'll talk about tithing. You know, you, you hear all the time, oh, well, tithing's not a New Testament. It's not for the, that was just Old Testament. We don't have to tithe in a New Testament. That, okay, that, that may or may not be true. And actually, tithing in the Old Testament wasn't 10%. It was about 23% uh, when you figured all the things they were commanded to give in there. Some of that was national, more like a tax. Um, but then there were also free will offerings. All these kinds. What does that mean in, 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 the, in the New Testament, in the kingdom? How does that translate? Well, everything starts in the old. Everything in the New, new Testament, under the New Covenant, uh, at the Hebrews called back then the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, it all stands on the shoulders of the old. So the old is always the starting place. And, and, and it progresses from there in the New Covenant. So... Oftentimes when I, people give me the argument, well, tithing is not for today. You're right. Tithing is, was the old covenant. It was the starting point. And, and we use that only as a foundation. And, and we, we go further with it in the kingdom. Way past a 10%. Way past a tithe. I mean, even in our songbooks, we don't sing... 
I surrender one-tenth to Jesus. <laughs> one-tenth to him I freely give. No, I surrender what? All. It's, it's an all-or-nothing proposition in the New Testament. And by the way, this isn't just money. It's time. If you're too busy to serve in the local body of Jesus Christ, you are too busy. This is, this is the primary and first place God intends for you to give of yourself, of your time, of your talent, and of your treasure. It begins here, and listen, and it flows out from there. We all need to be serving, using our time, using our giftings, as I talked about last week, and then also sowing in the, the treasure that God has given to us. So this is a grace of God. This giving, being able to give like this is something that God has to do in your heart first. All right? And it's so true. Now, there's been times that I've tithed for wrong motives. And I see it all the time. I've, you know, I've been in the ministry over 30 years, and I've seen it. Stuff starts to go left on people, and all of a sudden they start giving because they want to get God's attention. Now, that won't hurt them one bit, but it's not going to help them either. <laughs> Listen, God can't be bought. You know why God can't be bought? Because he owns it all in the first place. What are you going to give to God that's going to excite him? I mean, what are you going to give to God that's not already his? You know, that's like being a father. You know, for, for your birthday, you give your kids money so they can go buy you a birthday present. Well, you just want to get them in the habit, you know. The problem is, you know, your, your kids grow up and leave and they still want you to give them money. <coughs> and it's not supposed to work like that. Right? You train that out of them. But it's like that with God. God owns it all anyway. And here's the principle. And some of you have lived this. You cannot outgive God. You can't. Now we say that. I, I, God says, challenges us to put him to the test. One of the few things that God, you know, we put fleeces out all over the place. And, uh, we do it in every area except our finances. And, and, and that's the only area that God says put a fleece out. Test, try me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you will not be able to handle it. You don't believe that's true? This, this testing of obedience in this area? Flip to the New Testament. What happened with Peter? He's out there minding his own business. He's a professional what? Fisherman. And fishermen know you fish at what time of day? Night. Now it's morning. The light is up. They're coming in, and they had a horrible night. They didn't get anything. And Jesus is standing on the shore. He said, what'd you catch? And by the way, when you're fishing all night long and you get nothing, that's the last question you want to hear. And everybody's an expert, right? And, and they just had to drive him nuts. And he said, we didn't get anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. I'm like, Really? Are you serious? You know, and we do that today. Hold your tongue just a certain way and cast that over there and see what happens. Nevertheless, at your word, throws in the nets and what happens? It's so full that the nets are breaking, the boats are sinking. And, and Peter had a franchise, so there were other boats that he had, so he signals them to come in, and all these boats are coming together to try to split this up so that the boat doesn't sink. What happened? He put Jesus to the test, and he became overwhelmed. And the problem is we're comfortable not putting God to the test in this area. And we're the ones that lose. Look what he says here. So he's telling Titus, look, you need, you need to complete this, this gift of God, this gifting of God in your people. That's part of the job of an elder of a pastor, of a shepherd, is, is to continually lead you to not live, listen to me, to not live out of perception, what you can see, but to live out of perspective, what you know to be true. And it's this kingdom generosity. And the question is, are we living that? So the last verse, verse 7 Paul says this, but as you abound in everything. So what is he saying to these Corinthians? Hey, you guys have got a lot of stuff nailed down. And the word abound means to overflow in it. As you abound in everything, as you've embraced all these other giftings from God, all these other graces from God, and then he lists a few of these graces. Here's what they abounded in. In, in faith. Man, they trusted God. 
They believed God. They bounded in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love for us. Talking about the apostle themsel apostles themselves who started Paul himself and his team who started that church. He said, make sure that you abound in this grace also. I want you to see this. He's saying, look, it's not enough to embrace your spiritual gift. And about, you need to do that. Paul's not saying stop abounding in faith and start abounding in your giving. That's not what Paul's saying. You got the gift of faith like Elizabeth? Man, abound in that. You know, do it to the max. But also, while you're doing that, you need to abound in this grace as well, this grace of, of sacrificial kingdom giving. And, and this is what I've come to understand about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is that they're, they're given to different people in the body, different gifts to different people. Some of you have the gift of giving. You really do. Do you know why God has given people in the body of Christ the gift of giving? And, and maybe you, let's say, let's say I don't have the gift of giving, but um, Pam does. You know why God's put Pam in my life and the body of Christ here together? So that I can see what spirit-filled giving looks like. Now for Pam, it's easy. It's, it's because it's not Pam. It's God's gift in her and it's, she just loves to give. It's like breathing for her and there's a deep joy in exercising that gift. It's not my gift, but listen to me, it is my responsibility. Are you with me? Giving might not be your gift, but I promise you it is your kingdom responsibility before the God who bought you with the blood of his son. Doesn't have to be your gift, it's your responsibility. Now God puts gifted people in your life who aren't gifted in that area so you can see what it looks like. And so you can also say, hmm, you know, she, she gives extravagantly and God's taking great care of her. So that increases my faith level when it comes to this grace of giving. So here's the question for you as you wrap this whole thing up. He says, see that you abound in this grace also. Here's my question. Are you abounding in this grace? That means are you overflowing in it? Or have you not even put your toe in the water of this grace yet? Which one describes you better? Which, which one sounds more like you? Corey Ten Boom said this. She said, the measure of a life, after all, is not, it, not its duration, but its donation. Where are you in that? I told you, my parents raised me. That's just what we did. We didn't even think about it. Tithing. That's what you do. It was never even an option. Just what you do. Then I got married and left home. And, and we came up against a situation, you know, I, I was working, my wife was home, I think we, I don't know if we had one or two kids at the time. But anyway, she wrote the checks back then. I've since taken that over, not because she did a bad job, but because she got enough on her shoulders, and that's something that I can do to relieve that stress in her life. That's a whole nother story, isn't it? Anyway. She came to me Saturday night. She said, I need you to make a decision. And by the way, she, when, when my wife would ever come to me and say that, it was never one of them softball easy decisions. I always got the stuff that she didn't want to deal with or couldn't deal with. So I knew what that meant. That meant this, there's going to be nothing easy about what she's fixing to lay on me. She said, here's the deal. She said, I can write the tithe check for tomorrow or we can have grocery money this week, but we can't do both. I said, well, surely there's, we got enough in the fridge and freezer and cabinets, right? She said, not really. We got about a day and a half worth. I said, are you serious? Yep. Now, honestly, if it was just her and I, no big deal. But we had, I think at least one kid, I don't know if Zach was born yet or not, but I know Junior was born. 
you know, that's my two-year-old kid. What are we going to do? And I never had been faced with that before. Now, you know, I worked. I worked hard, didn't make much, obviously. But I worked faithful. Never took a check from the church the whole time I was there, 11 years. So I wasn't getting an income from the church. I worked in a nursing home. And um, I'd never been faced. This was new to me. And for the first time in my life, I was challenged. My perception was challenged. No, my perception challenged my perspective. I perceived that this was a problem that wasn't going to just affect me and my wife, which we can handle. It was going to affect my two-year-old, which I couldn't handle. So my perception, what I could see, began to inform my perspective, what I believed. Are, are you with me? And I thought, hmm. Maybe this one time, God would understand. And my eyes began to inform my heart. I said things like this. I'll make it up next paycheck right or uh, I begin to run all these scenarios once you give in to what your eyes see your perception it will rewrite your internal theology and and your perspective will be completely different and that started to happen in my mind I started to think that none of this was out loud it was all between my ears but somehow my wife could see that. I don't know how, but she could see what was going on. She never said a word, but I saw the disappointment. I saw it. Because remember, she's got the gift of faith and it's really annoying. I think she thought she was going to come to me, give me this problem, and say, oh, no problem. The God who parted the Red Sea and sent the manna, and did all, he will take care of us. Write that check to, to the church. And instead she got, hmm, Downey Thomas for her husband. <laughs> and I saw that. And what it was kind of one of those things, that it, was kinda, it kind of jolted me back to reality, back to my true perspective with what I was raised, with what I preached from the pulpit myself. And I said, you know what? I don't know how this works right now. But here's what I do know. I have never not written a tithe check on Saturday night. And we're not about to start today. You write that check and this is God's problem after that. Now, that's a hard thing for a man to, to say because it's my job. Okay? I'm the provider. But what God needed to teach this young, very passionate pastor who didn't have a lot of knowledge was that I am only the secondary provider. <laughs> He's the provider. And just like your earth, my earthly father did a fantastic job providing for his family, my heavenly father was even better because he has deeper pockets than dad. Right? So we wrote the check. She gave it with joy. I gave it with something a little different than joy. <laughs> but it went in that offering that morning. And I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't worried. I, 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 was, I was concerned. Um because it attacks everything that's in a man. But I needed to learn this. I needed to learn that I'm not the provider. That when it bumps up against what is true in the kingdom and what the kingdom norms are, I am going to be a citizen of the kingdom first and obey my king. And, and I will gladly embrace the results of that. So we went to church, came home, 
had the last meal. <laughs> you always thought the last supper was in the Bible? No, it was at our house in Florida that day. <laughs> at our last meal. Went to church that night. We came home from church that night. We lived in this little townhouse that was up on a hill. And they were all connected to each other. And they had like a little half wall between the houses. So you had like a sort of like a little porch. If you can picture that. It was up on the hill. So we come home from church that night. We get out of the car and get Junior out of the car. We're walking up a, a pretty good series of steps to get up there. And it's dark. Um, and, and very recently, <laughs> my wife had walked out the door and there was bricks brick wall between the houses and there was a huge snake i never seen this before but it had gotten itself between the bricks and literally was climbing the wall and it was about five feet long and so i'm still a little wigged out about what might be on that porch in the dark because she just about walked into that snake and and then i can now i can see some, it's dark but i can see something is on the porch and i'm thinking oh man and it's not a snake it's bigger than that. I'm like, good night. What's on that porch now? <clears throat> and so I, I got up a little bit closer and turned the outside light on. And sitting on our porch were four bags of groceries. Four bags of groceries. That got us through two weeks, not even just one. You know what God was showing me? You're, the, you're not the provider. I am. You trust me, and I'll take care of these other things. And that's just food. Thanks to a mutual friend of David and mine, Charlie Colgan, I discovered that I can go 40 days without food. I've done it twice. Looking forward to doing it again. I can live without food. I can't live without faith. I can't live without being generous. And, and I'm telling you, God's always coming up against me with that. That generosity. And, and listen, it's not because God wants me to have nothing. God wants me to give everything away. And God wants me to be destitute. That's not why God wants me to be generous. Listen, listen to me, and I'm closing with this. God wants me to be generous, not for what I will lose, but for what I will gain. God demands that we, be, we, we practice kingdom generosity, not for what you're going to lose, but for what you're going to gain. And that's not just giving away your money and your stuff and you gain some sense of increased faith, although it is that. But I'm talking about, you remember what Jesus' disciples said to him? He said, hey, 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 wait a minute. We're doing some math here and it's not adding up. We're giving up houses and lands and all this stuff. What are we going to get in return for that? And they're still thinking earthly kingdom. They're still very clueless. What did Jesus say to them? He said, look, I'll tell you assuredly, I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the scoop, guys. Whoever gives those things up for the sake of the kingdom will have them restored many times over in this life. That's not the prosperity gospel either. It's just the truth. God's going to take care of you. But not in ways that you think. In better ways. So here's my question. How are you participating in kingdom generosity? He says, see that you abound in this grace also. Are you abounding in this grace? And if you're not, why? There's so much to be gained and even more to be lost by not participating, not obeying God in the area of kingdom generosity. I want to encourage you with that. And again, let me read this from Corey Ten Boone, and then I'm going to pray. The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Where are you in this grace? How has your perception 
what you can see with your eyes created your perspective, what you believe. I've run into many people who say, oh, I, I, I can't afford to give. I cannot afford to tithe. You see, that's what you can see. Writing what you believe. You're writing your doctrine based on your eyes. Instead, what we need to say is, you can't afford not to give. You got financial problems? Your first step is not to stop giving. Your first step is to start giving. I've been there. You can't outgive God. The problem is nobody wants to put him to the test in that area. But I want to encourage you to consider that today. Consider the unlimited kingdom generosity that God wants to do through you. And start it in small things and see what God does. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for these people, from these believers from Macedonia who were just hurting financially. And yet you came along and it was in your will for them to give not just what they had, but even what they didn't have. I mean, they, 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 they personally, deeply sacrificed stuff that they needed. This was not from the abundance of the overflow. This was bottom of the barrel, and they, and they, gave, they gave what they had and beyond what they had. And yet it was your will. And because of that, they abounded in joy. I pray that we would learn from them that their perspective would be our perspective. And I pray that every person that hears, has heard this sermon and those that will hear it online later will ask themselves this question. Could I honestly say before God that I am abounding in the grace of kingdom generosity. Lord, I pray that you give people the courage to ask that question. And then I pray that you would give them really the specific steps of obedience that you want them to take in this area. And I pray that it would be specific and that they would do it and that they would gain so much more just as these Macedonians did. And I pray that in the days to come, the back half of November, as we back up a little bit and get real specific about just who we are in relation to you and into a, what you've blessed us with, that God, you would, you would just make it clear um, and with what you've put on my heart that's coming in November, I pray that you would, you would give people uh, a spirit of obedience to trust you and to get right in this area of their life. And you will absolutely get all of the credit as you slay our idols and resurrect faithfulness in your church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.